0: Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. Hi everyone, welcome to another Player Development Project Monthly Wrap. My name is Dave Wright and as always I'm joined by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you mate?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you
0: going, mate? I'm good. Looking forward to another discussion uh, where we're going to review all of the published content from the month of June, and uh, that's going to be in a variety of formats as per usual. So to kick things off, we're going to give a brief review with a clip from our fantastic conversation from Sydney FC Academy Director, Kelly Cross. Kelly has also spent a lot of time working at Football Federation Australia in the past, where he was Assistant National Technical Director and has a wealth of experience. So let's check this one out.
2: If I reflect back, particularly on that under seventeen team, that year, you, you know, we made the World Cup final, um, lost to Brazil on penalties, in your country, so it's, you know, it's even more painful. <laughs> um, it's it's the same as when we just took our under seventeens to a tournament in Amsterdam last week, and you know, Ajax, PSG, Sporting Lisbon, all those teams, and it's like it's being able to prepare the guys for for anything because you, you can, international, international, you're going to come up, come up with something you haven't faced before. Yeah. And, and if your development has only been at this pace and against this opposition, it's obviously going to be a challenge. And we do find, not only with the national team but also with our team, that when we go to Europe, we've not played anybody like any of those teams. So when we played Ajax two weeks ago, our guys have never played anybody like that, never faced that kind of opposition. And and that's a, and that's a challenge for being so isolated in Australia. Mm. So what can you do to prepare them for anything? So it, it it goes back if you look at Sydney FC now, a whole range of things that the players need to have. You need to be flexible. You need to be adaptable. But fundamentally, what you're looking for is players who can who can read the game themselves. So you, you turn up and you play, you know, South Korea one day and it's a certain animal, and the next day you play in Argentina. Yeah, or two or three days later playing Argentina. Which again is different. If the players are looking at the bench saying, What do I do now? Yeah. It's all over. It's yeah. How do you produce players who are actually looking at the game and then looking at you saying, This is what I've seen. You know, they're looking at the bench saying, Kelly, they've got two here and we're going I'm just gonna put Dave here and Kelly's gonna play there and the coach kinda goes, Yeah, good, but just watch out for Yeah. Instead of what tends to happen, you have to wait till half time and these you know, you have to tell these guys what happened because apparently they were, to tell what was happening on the field. So for me it was um, learning from, so me as a coach I was learning from the, the, the vast range of different opposition you come up against and, and different styles, so that was a learning moment yeah. for me. You could turn that around, so how do you prepare the players to be able to play anybody And go and, and the players see after 10 minutes, alright oh, this is what they're trying to do and therefore we have to do this or they're playing like this, so our, our opportunity is going to be on this side or it's going to be quick transition. For them to see that game by game, yeah. off by half even, they come out in the second half and the players are saying, ah, oh, I can see what's happening. So we try some things at, at, at training um, and whether they work or not, I don't know, but we, we call it game-changers, where one team has this, um, this way of scoring and the other team's got this way of scoring and therefore What's your strategy to capitalize on you know breaking into two goals, or what are you going to do to you've only got one goal to scoring yeah. and getting them to think about well what's our strategy, but at the same time are we aware of what the other teams try and do, and it might be something different to what we're doing, so things like that. Um, uh, if you're looking moving forward as a learning moment, coaches being prepared for different kinds of opposition, but more importantly that's a, that's something the starting point because it's the players yeah. that go out and play against them. So um, absolutely, but learn uh, we learn you know, when I was working with Les, that what Les Schoenflug always fought for was proper preparation. You know, you, you wouldn't allow a team to go to a World Cup when you've not been prepared. You know, so before we went to the World Cup, we had three weeks in South America, we had big games, we played Uruguay, we played Chile, we played Argentina, big club games. And um, we had another tour before that. It, yeah. So the, the idea of preparation or, in modern parlance, you know, the idea of cohesion. You know, the more yeah. cohesion you've got, more chance of success. So. We went away a lot together, we played a lot together, and that I think was a contributing factor to doing quite well at the World Cup.
0: So Dan, a really interesting conversation with Kelly, and obviously he's got a wealth of experience. What were some of the takeaways from that masterclass for you?
1: Yeah, I think this is somebody who's kind of been there and done it, hasn't it? Um, I think uh, the main things I took away, he talked a lot about his coaching journey. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously worked in a few different um, environments and experienced different things. And some of those influences on kind of his coaching was quite interesting. Um, Another main takeaway for me was he he talked about as coaches, we're always looking for the next thing and the next best thing. And sometimes he talked about reflecting on things that have worked in the past and maybe, you know, them still being useful. Um, What about for you?
0: Yeah, look, I think I think that idea of looking back on what some of the best things were um, and also examining what worked and what didn't is key. And I know in the conversation, he talked about sort of winding the dial up, if you will, on coach education when there was very little sort of framework in place. And his view now where he's sort of running a very trusting environment with his coaches was that perhaps it needs to be wound back. So it sort of speaks for the evolution of coaching in our own experiences. So a really good conversation and somebody with such a wealth of experience and different experiences at different levels that he's uh, he's very much doing a great job up there at sydney fc our next clip is going to be from danny newcomb now this was a fantastic interview with somebody who's a real expert in the area of constraints led coaching he's a coach developer and researcher at oxford brooks university and was also an assistant with the welsh men's hockey team at the commonwealth games this year in australia so a really interesting uh, conversation with danny and we'll check out that clip now
3: a bit of jargon-busting and myth-busting is kind of what I enjoy, enjoy the most. Um, so some of the phrases I use, you've always been using a constraint-led approach, you just didn't know it. Yeah. Um, so uh, a constraint-led approach captures how human beings organize movement solutions. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a magic bullet of you need to use these practices or not. It just helps us understand how a human being organizes its body to solve a problem. and that that organization is a product of the task, could be walking upstairs, the human, so the anatomy, the biomechanics, the muscles, the um, the psychology, the mood, the fatigue state, so everything that kind of fits into that human, and then the environment. Mm. And all, all the constraints that the approach is saying is that when one of those changes, the movement solution changes. Yep. And as long as coaches, we know that, We can then start to change some of the things to cause the movement solutions we want to happen
0: it's almost an awareness or a consciousness of these ideas and then trying to think how is that relevant for that individual in my environment i guess right
3: yeah that's right and two people might be very different in shape and size of course so that their movement solution to solve that problem will look and be potentially different Mm. that doesn't mean one's right or one's wrong but that's what will happen and so it's all built on this premise of two things really, dynamical systems theory, which um, I get really excited about, but basically (laughs) the system's always searching for stability. That's the answer. So it will try and self-organize is the big phrase, which Mm -hmm. basically means problem solve, work it out, call it what you want, but the body will try and self-organize or the human will self-organize against the instability in the system, always looking for that stability. So as a human, we start to our center of mass moves off to the base, we'll, we'll correct. Mm-hmm. That's the, the body's stable position to be in is upright with our center of mass over our over our feet. Um, you know, if we're in defense on in rugby, for example, and transition, we will organize ourselves to be stable. So we're set, we're in position, we're covered, and, and that's the stable solution to the problem. So the key is, as coaches, to provide instability. Yeah. If you provide instability, the learners will self-organise against it and come up with solutions. So that's the, the first thing. If we know that our jobs to provide instability, now how much, what type of instability, That those are the types of questions that we might get into. So often I say if you put cones down on the floor and ask your players to dribble around them, in, which is common practice in, in still, yeah. um, <laughs> in, in hockey, in, in ice hockey, and in, 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 in soccer, um, they will create a movement solution that solves that problem i.e looking at the floor
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and then you always say the big problem with players when they dribble the ball is they don't look up i sort of say well who put the cones on the floor 100
0: percent so dan obviously an extensive and in-depth and at times complex and challenging conversation with danny and one that i really really enjoyed facilitating what were some of the highlights for you
1: yeah, I think um, Danny's just someone who's super passionate about what he does. Um, I saw him talk live and I thought he'd be, you know, a sort of a great con- contributor to the PDP. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was all about kind of practice design and he talked about um, the intention of the practice and how transferable the skill was. And um, although he's a hockey coach, there was lots to take away for anybody sort of working in any sports. Um, What about for you, mate?
0: Yeah, certainly those principles of invasion games. I mean, whether it's football, rugby, hockey, basketball, they all sort of cross over. Um, But I think just breaking down some of the, not myths as such, but breaking down some of the language that goes with constraints-led approach. And often, you know, you and I have had conversations where we talk about sometimes semantics getting in the way of what people are actually trying to say or communicate. And I think Danny's really clever at just kind of taking these concepts, which could be somewhat intimidating for a young coach perhaps or somebody that hasn't heard of it and i know through pdp i've learned a massive amount about what constraints lead coaching actually means and he kind of simplifies that so it's a really nice conversation in terms of getting an understanding of that but also, again, around those areas of task design you mentioned. So worth a look and highly recommend it. We've also got some content on the podcast from that uh, that particular interview. So next up, we've got a couple of blogs. So I'll throw to you first because one of them was yours uh, from June, and that was He Doesn't Look Like a Footballer. So can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this and a bit about the blog?
1: Yeah, the, the inspiration was um, I was fortunate to go to Iniesta's last game, at the, the Nou Camp, um, kind of by accident. So we, we, we'd chosen that game because it was the end of the season. We thought they had a good chance of, of winning the league. Um, and then obviously kind of two or three months before the end of the season, he announced he was retiring. So it became um, a more valuable ticket than perhaps it was already. Um, and then just, just to kind of all all the hype and all the presentation was all around Iniesta and all the, the kind of the TV and the, and the newspapers. And it wasn't until perhaps that you saw him um, retire that we kind of reflected how good he was Um, Mm. so you know the the most successful Spanish player ever he's won you know basically everything apart from the Ballon d'Or and to look at him he doesn't look like a super athlete he doesn't look like um, someone that's going to sprint or someone that's going to overpower people but so good technically and so intelligent and to manage that sort of time and space I thought it was just really inspiring so to see that kind of live with all all the hype that was in all the press it just inspired me to think about what does that player look like at kind of 10, 11, 12, 13, um, you know, we are as coaches probably sometimes picking the strongest or quickest or biggest players mm. um, when perhaps the best player in the group that we don't know about will be the one that emerges later in that pathway. So kind of that non-linear journey, but also recognizing that footballers don't always look like, you know, the best athletes and they might be the, the most intelligent. So kind of similar to that kind of Paul Scholes message as well. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on, on
0: Iniesta for you? Yeah, look, I mean, it was a great blog. It went very, very well on social media in terms of um, feedback and a lot of reads, and uh, so well done on that. I think it's just one of those where it's about a patience game. You know, it, it's about the long term view, and and obviously he was in an environment where that view was taken. Um, and we all work with players from time to time who either surprise us. Um, I know a lot of coaches who have been involved in the release of players, and then they've popped up somewhere else. And I think that's a great thing where um, you know adversity is faced by players and they can overcome it. And whether it's physical size or whether it's some other disappointment or challenge that goes on, it really is about that sort of up and down journey, as you mentioned. Uh, That sort of actually ties nicely into the next blog, which was um, provided by Dr. Martin Turner, who's a researcher up there at Staffordshire University. And Martin provided a great read around using sport to help forge resilience. He provided some fantastic examples across different codes, um, from golf to football and so on. Um, And really, the, the key message was about getting athletes or encouraging athletes to understand um, that going through um, different challenges or failures and building resilience is a way to uh, actually overcome and succeed in the end. And I think he gave some great examples around Rory McIlroy's famous sort of meltdown at the open, I believe it was. And the sort of key point was around getting athletes to recognize that failure isn't terrible. And if you can actually develop that skill, and I think it is a skill, um, Ronaldo's free kick, I think was a great example in the world cup early on where he sort of used mindfulness and took those deep breaths and really focused to get the result that he did. Um, getting over those sort of hurdles, um, actually reduces burnout in their jobs and demonstrates more resilience in the face of adversity going forward. So a really nice read from Martin. Um, any thoughts on that one from you or.
1: Yeah, I think, um, Maybe as adults in the role of coach, that that's something we've got to model as well. Um, you know, we can reflect on our failures, or we can explain to kids you know, situations that we found challenging, and now they're not so challenging, or we learned from them. Because I think when when you're in the moment as a, a teenager, that can be really really difficult. Um, so if you've got some you know real life case studies, whether they are at the elite end or whether they're just personal, you know, I used to not to be able to do this, or I used to find this really challenging, and now it's really easy. I think that can be quite powerful, and and the idea that success is built on failure. You know, yeah. you're going to have to fail and fail and fail and get better. Not just you try something and you're, and you're super duper at it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think looking back on a personal example, I mean, you and I sat on the A license together, and you said to me, "It's about time you got digital with your session planning." I certainly remember that. <laughs> so I can I can thank you when I had my notepad there, and you know, I can thank you for that. So something I've got better at is um, logging my sessions, so I've got a record of them. But uh, that sort of ties to the session plans, and we had a couple of those. Um, one of which was on switching and building play, um, which as I sort of say quite a lot, it sort of did what it, uh, what it says on the tin and, and it was one of those where it was really about um, working possession through the middle third and finding the right moment. Um, so I highly recommend that one. The small side of game on combination play was a very simple uh, sort of task constraint about final third entries. Again, looking to build and release in the right moment and try and break in behind a sort of mid to deep block. So um, one that can be adapted for all ages and from anywhere from 4v4s right through to sort of uh, 11 a side if you want to use those constraints and one I've used recently with the group of players I'm working with at the moment. We also had a Q&A, um, which we sort of covered off. Do you want to recap that one for us, Dan?
1: Yeah, so the Q&A was um, kind of around the, the biggest, strongest player in the group. So quite often we, we've talked about um, bio or uh, relative age effect or, or kind of looking after maybe those players that <clears throat> excuse me, are later maturing. And this was the opposite of that. So this was a player, I think the example was a, with a 12-year-old that was was basically um, nearly complete in terms of maturation. So how do we challenge and how do we look after and how do we prepare that player for, for the next step of their journey? So we, we talked a bit about um, trying to maybe work out what that would look like at the end. Mm. Um, so if he's going to be the biggest and strongest, then, then maybe that's okay. Or um, if he's going to be just kind of five foot eight, we reference your height.
0: Five foot eight. Um, <laughs> I'll take five, five foot eight, nine, thank you. <laughs> a massive
1: five foot nine. then maybe that you know he's not going to be the biggest and strongest come um, adult football. So there, there was a whole kind of melting pot and, and mixing of ideas there, but, but quite a, an enjoyable one.
0: Yeah, no, it was a a good discussion and one that I think can be neglected. And and Lukaku, I think, was the example we used at the highest level of a player that was just always big but did manage to develop those technical skills. So a good conversation. Dan, that sort of takes us to the end of another monthly wrap. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. Some great content published in June. And we will look forward to another PDP monthly wrap very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.